Some time ago, I was uh, traveling by air, and I got online and bought my tickets, and they were in the economy section, seat 32B, something like that. I go up to the uh, ticket counter there at the airport, and this miracle happens. I get upgraded to first class. I mean, we go for like from, I know, woohoo, yeah, that's right. I mean, we go from 32B to like 2A. I was like, whoa, you know? Um, I have never regretted that. <laughs> Ever, right? Has that ever happened to you? You know, you go and you get upgraded. And, and, and furthermore, um, I, I did not even think about what was going on at the back of the plane while the flight did, didn't, even, didn't even cross my mind what I was missing, you know? Um, and, and it's not just that the liabilities of, uh, you know, seat 32B were minimized. It's that the assets of seat 2A were maximized. I mean, we, we, we go from, you know, so-so leg room to like lazy boy recliner leg room. We go from like a so-so seating to this really leathery, cushiony seat. Never regretted that. First class. That's the way to go. Today, we're going first class. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 21. I want to read, um, we're going to be looking at the entire chapter and then some in chapter 22, but I want us to uh, read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7. You will not regret hearing this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God And he will be my son. This is God's word. 
This is why we celebrate Christmas. Right here. This is, this is why Jesus came. This is why Paul speaks of the mystery of godliness. God came in a body. It's, it's to this end right here. This is the purpose of, of Christ's birth. This is the purpose of his life and his ministry and his teaching and the miracles that he performed and the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension and the sending of his Holy Spirit upon his people. This is it right here, Revelation 21. We are a people of destiny and this is our destiny, church family. And this is why we passionately pursue Christ. It's why we are gathering here on Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday, Revelation 21. It's why. It's why uh, we went all in with this initiative this fall. It's why we're sending teams to the Dominican Republic and, and Haiti, and we're partnering with our local school district this is why we have small group studies. This is why we have Celebrate Recovery. This is why we have family ministry. Right here, Revelation chapter 21. This is our advent. Advent, Adventus, arrival, visitation, coming. And just as the prophets of old waited for the arrival, and First Peter says that they searched intently concerning the, the times and the events regarding the sufferings of the Messiah. See, they were, they were on the side awaiting the first advent, but we are privileged here to be on the other side of that first advent, that first arrival, that first coming, God in a body at Bethlehem. We're awaiting the second advent, the second when Christ will come, and he will not be riding a, uh, the, 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 the colt of a donkey as he did in the triumphal entry. He will, he will come on a stallion, and he will come in glory, and we're awaiting that, and when that happens, the restoration will be complete and the new heavens and the new earth will commence. We who have been delivered from the penalty of sin, we who are being delivered from the power of sin on that day, the day, Scripture says, we will ultimately be delivered from the presence of sin. And God's glory and love will flood the new heavens and the new earth. And it's as if the Apostle John's uh, mind is just, just stretching for uh, images and pictures and words to try to write down what he experienced in Revelation chapter 21. But make no mistake, here is, here is what he's saying to us. In the new heavens and the new earth, our destiny is a resurrected life in a resurrected body with the resurrected Christ in a resurrected heaven and earth. That's it. That's the purpose of Christmas.
And it just seems fitting that we spend this uh, last Sunday of Advent before Christmas Eve uh, grasping in our minds, if we can, what our destiny is to be like. And so in Revelation 21, I want you to see the three pictures, the images that the Apostle John gives to us. He gives us an image of a bride, a beautiful bride. He gives us an image of a a city, a holy city. And then in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, we'll see uh, the the image, the picture of of an urban paradise. A bride, a city, a paradise. Now, they're not three different things. They're, they're the same. They're the, uh, these are three images which capture that which is the same. The new heavens and the new earth. Resurrected life, resurrected body with a resurrected Christ and a resurrected heaven and earth. Do you want a glimpse of that? Well, let's go. Uh, I got to get something off my chest here before uh, we get into that. And it's this. Look up here. Part of what I want us to do here is to dispel and, and really just um, kind of get out of our minds this horrible image that uh, has somehow been handed to us by who knows uh, where and by whom of, of what heaven is like. And uh, uh, John Eldridge, in his book, The Journey of Desire, puts it this way. He says, practically every Christian that I've ever talked with thinks that heaven is a never-ending church service. <laughs> it sounds pretty frightening to you, too. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor, and that's frightening, believe me. I mean, I, really, I mean, so, I don't know. So, somehow we just kind of think that, well, what's going to happen in heaven? Oh, this. Forever. Oh, man, that just, I mean, and, 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 or, you know, that it's, that it's this never-ending sing-along in the sky, and we're just going to, oh, man. And, and then, you know, our hearts sink, okay? And then we kind of feel guilty because we're not spiritual enough or whatever. And I just want to relieve you of that and release you of that, okay? Please let that dove fly away, far away, and never come back. Because I'm telling you, that's neither biblical, and it's not heaven. It's not. Uh, uh, that's, that's in the Sunday comics. That's what that image is, and that's where it is. And uh, I can tell you there is absolutely nothing disembodied about these verses here. I mean, these verses, these verses aren't implying that you're going to be floating and gliding along three feet off the ground. There's walking, there's marching, there's drinking, there's eating, there's serving, there is worshiping, but there's relating and there's a community. Resurrected life, resurrected body with the resurrected Christ in a resurrected heavens and earth. So let's unpack that as John does. Beginning in Revelation 21, he speaks of heaven as a beautiful bride. You see that? Verse 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, why a bride? Why a bride? What are we learning about God, his desires for a relationship with us? Marriage is the most intimate human relationship 
And these verses raise the question, is there something that God is trying to tell us about himself and about the kind of relationship that he desires with his people um, that, that overshadows and overwhelms the most intimate human relationship? I think, I think there is. And when we look at this picture, we have to realize this intimacy the intimacy in our best moments with our spouses, if we're married, it pales in comparison to the intimacy that God requires and wants and desires with his people. Uh, Hear these words of intimacy from one husband to his wife. He wrote... The most painful decision of my life was asking God to take her home. She'd been suffering from repeated brain seizures and her body was wasted. I whispered in her ear, honey, I love you. I love you. Jesus wants you to come home. We're going to be all right. We give you permission to let go. And she closed her eyes and she fell asleep. As I write this letter, the man wrote, I realize that I am without my editor, I'm without my greatest critic, I'm without my teammate, my soulmate, my prayer mate, my partner in everything. We traveled the roads less traveled together in hard times and good times. Honey, I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. I will keep the light on for the kids. I will be there for friends. And one day, we are going to join you. All of us. I tell you, even the, the depth of intimacy in those words uh, by a, a Bible teacher and author named Lyman Coleman, even the depth of intimacy in those words pale in comparison to the level of intimacy that God desires with his people. That's why we read in verse three, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Don't you see, we're the bride We're the bride of Christ. We're the wife of the Lamb. And heaven is Jesus coming and saying, I want to live with my wife forever. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He'll be present to do that. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's why verse 1 says there'll be no more sea. What is that about, no more sea? What's the significance of that? Well, you must understand, to the Hebrew mind, the sea, the ocean, represented evil and chaos. And here, in the new heavens and the new earth, that there is no more sea symbolizes the truth that there's no more chaos, no more evil. It's all God in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, George MacDonald, uh, a minister and uh, uh, novelist, he wrote fantasy novels in uh, the, uh, uh, the 1800s that uh, um, Inspired C.S. Lewis and G.K. Chesterton, uh, 
Uh, I'm thinking of The Princess and the Goblin, that fantasy novel that he wrote. Here's what he said. There is no heaven with a little hell in it. No plan to retain this or that of the devil in our hearts or our pockets. Out, Satan must go. Every hair and feather. (laughs) Think about it. That there's no more evil means that there's no more sin. And in the new heavens and the new earth, that means we won't have to apologize anymore. Aren't you tired of having to apologize? I'm, I'm tired of having to apologize for the thoughtless words that come out of my mouth. I'm tired of having to repent. In, in the new heavens and the new earth, we won't need to do that. We, we won't need to go back and make amends for dirty thoughts or dirty words or dirty deeds. We'll be pure. We'll be this pure, beautifully adorned bride. That's our destiny. I want that. And, and these verses tell us that in the new heavens and the new earth, we will finally experience Normal. Normal. Listen, death is not normal. Cancer is not normal. Debilitating pain is not normal. Normal is not standing in a critical care unit room waiting to turn off the machine. That's not normal. Normal normal is not hospice care. That's not normal. In the new heavens and the new earth, normal, normal is no crying, no pain, no mourning, no death. That's normal. In the new heavens and the new earth, I'll tell you what normal is. New. That's what's normal. That's why verse 5 says, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm ready for normal. Aren't you? Well, it gets better because this uh, picture of this beautiful bride sort of uh, uh, kind of bleeds into this second picture that the Apostle John gives us. This beautiful bride is now this holy city. Look at verses 9 and 10. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So here this bride now is this this holy city. And that's a significant verse there. Because you see, by the time these verses were penned by the Apostle John, the Romans had long destroyed Jerusalem. Titus of Rome had sacked the city. Which, by the way, wasn't holy when it was sacked. Jesus himself said such. In Luke chapter 13, 34, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to it. But here, the city is holy. And note the phrase, coming down. You see that? Oh, that's important. Because that tells us something about heaven. You see, ultimately, ultimately, heaven is not an escape from earth. You know, like when we go to Florida and escape to 
Florida to leave the winter and the gray skies. And no, that's not what we're talking about. Ultimately, ultimately, God's plan is not to take us to the realm made for him, but rather his plan is to come down and live in the realm that he has made for us. Rather than our going up to live in God's home forever, the new heavens and the new earth, God will come down and dwell with us in this in this place, this new place, new heavens and new earth that he has prepared. Someone has called it the invasion of the city by the city. And it is a city. It is a city. Not, not a city of independent individualists. Rather, it is a community of interdependent citizens, heirs of life that is truly life. And as we just go through chapter 21, we see in verses 12 through 14, it's a secure city. That's why the walls are high. And and it is a city that uh, uh, consists of the people of God from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's why we read of the 12 tribes of Israel, you see that? And the 12 apostles. So the entire redeemed community of God in both Old and New Testaments are present in this city. And then you see in verses 15 and 16, there's this measuring that takes place. What's that about? Well, focus in on the act of measuring. Because to measure something is to define that which belongs to God. So the angel is measuring this city because this is what belongs to God. And my goodness, this city was immense, right? Uh, 12,000 stadia. Uh, Well, that's about 1,400 miles by our conversion measures and so we're talking 1400 miles by 1400 miles now think about who first heard these words people who lived in the Roman Empire why that's huge that's this city is twice the size of the Roman Empire meaning it's just huge it's immense but it's also in the shape of a cube look at verse 16 again 1400 by 1,400, by 1,400. What is that about? The shape of a cube? Why would the city be in the shape of a cube? Question, what space in the Old Testament was shaped like a cube? The Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies. Yeah. Don't you see? The most holy place now becomes the place, see? And, and, well, you know, the whole purpose of a temple was to keep people out, right? So you had the court of the Gentiles, and then you had the court of Israel, and, the, you know, the court of the, 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 uh, the, the priest, and then, and then the most holy place. Once a year, the high priest alone would enter, but when Christ came, And by his death, burial, and resurrection, he tore down the curtain that divided the most holy place from the rest of the temple. The curtain was torn from heaven to earth, you see. And so there is no temple. There is no temple in heaven because a temple implies mediation and a mediator. And, and well, 
Verse 22, that's not necessary because we're pure and we're with God and there's, it's a one-room heaven. I saw no temple in the city for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And, that this, is why, and this is why the city is so secure. Verses 23 and 25 tell us that the gates are always open. Back in the ancient world, at sunset, the gates close. Why? It's because, because there was evil in the world. Here, the gates are always open. And, and it says there will be no night there. Now, don't think, oh, it's going to be like July in Alaska? No, 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 no. Think about the fact that in Scripture, night is often symbolic of evil and scheming and treachery and all that belongs to Satan. Think John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where it says, In him, that's Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, what was true of Jesus when he walked the face of this earth now becomes true of the entire new heavens and the new earth. All light, no evil, no darkness. I'm ready. I want to be there. And then, and this is what I just find so fascinating about the new heavens and the new earth, it will, it will in, not only include people from every tongue and tribe and nation and language, so, so not only will the new heavens and the new earth be inhabited uh, by God's people, multinational, multiracial, multiethnic community of God, you will keep your race in heaven uh, but we, we will see the nations bring their glory into the new community. And all oh, that will be wonderful. The kings of the nations, verse 24 says, will bring their splendor. You realize what we're learning here? In the new heavens and the new earth, we will experience the best of the best. The best, the best of the best what? The best of the best art. The best of the best architecture, the best of the best music, the best of the best entertainment, the best of the best theology, the best of the best philosophy, the best of the best science and technology, and the best of the best coffee. (laughs) And we will learn, see, the cultures are bringing their glory We're going to be learning one another's heart languages. Yes, because you see, there are certain aspects of the glory of God that can only be be communicated in Navajo. Can only be communicated in Chui. Can only be communicated in English. Certain aspects of the glory of God. My goodness. And, and, and our minds will be uh, restored that we will be able to understand and retain the finer points of molecular biology and quantum theory so that we can grasp all of the wonders that God wants to show us. Imagine being in a place where you're continually learning and the learning and the discovery and the passion never ends. We will have resurrection bodies and those bodies will not grow weary. Even if we dance for joy for a million years. And this is only the beginning. 
we'll have all eternity to grow beyond what we can even imagine. And this hope needs to inform us about how we live today. Because did not Jesus tell us that we who are faithful with few things will be put in charge of many things? That informs how you do your work 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. You say, I just, all I do is just staple papers. Then you be the best at that. And you be the best at accounting. And you be the best at sales. And you be the best at construction. And the best at, God wants us to redeem music and art and business and sports and entertainment and education and medicine So that, see, what we're doing now is a part of God's restoration process, which he will consummate in the future. But but it's already started now. And so our mission is to begin the restoration project now in every area of life, see? Beautiful bride. Holy city. And, and, and as we do that, you can see now the beauty of this urban paradise in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healings of the nation. So we've got an urban paradise here. We've got a garden city, Eden, restored. And not just restored, but enhanced and transcended. And this river that flows from God's throne, God is the source. It flows right down Main Street. Again, John is drawing from the ancient world where all of the ancient cities had Main Streets. And this is the Main Street in the urban paradise of God. And it has the tree of life. But did you notice the tree of life is on either side of the river? Meaning it's accessible. And it's, it's plentiful, plentiful fruit for picking each month all year long. Talk about accessibility. And speaking of accessibility, verse 4. They will see his face. They will see his face. Up till now, everything has kept us from the face of God. Moses could not see God's face. When Jacob wrestled with God, it it was at night. And when Isaiah saw that great vision of God's throne, all he could see was the hem of his robe. But here with no evil, no sin, no seed, nothing impure, God has so transformed us that we see him face to face. And that's the best of it all. And see, the best of heaven is not the reunion that we will have face to face with our loved ones. No, no, there's something better than that. What's better than that is the reunion in the new heavens and the new earth standing shoulder to shoulder with our loved ones as we face the king. See his glory. Resurrected life, resurrected bodies with a resurrected Christ and a resurrected heaven and earth. That's our hope. 
Is that your hope? Is that your hope? Where's your hope? I may not know much about all of us, but I know this about all of us. We live on hope. We live on hope. You cannot live without hope. Your life runs on hope. Hope is what gets us up in the morning. Hope is what gives us the courage to continue. Hope is what takes us to work. Hope is what allows us to endure hardship. And right now, all of us have this this hungry hope in our hearts for the ideal life, the ideal job, the ideal relationship, the ideal vacation, the ideal street, the ideal church, you name it. The, The list is endless. And it's because we're wired for hope. We are. But not just any old hope. These verses force us to to consider this question. Is our hope horizontal? Is it earthbound? Is it limited? Or is our hope vertical? Will it outlast this life? These verses force us to face the inescapable truth that if we really, really look deep inside of our hearts, we would see, we would know that what we want most, what we hope for most, what we ache for most cannot be satisfied in this life. Can't. We're we're wired for the vertical and we live in a world that is exclusively horizontal. Vertical hope rests in the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's a vertical hope. Vertical hope rests in the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when you have him, it doesn't matter what happens to you in this life because whatever hap- if you have him whatever happens to you in this life it will only make you better it will only make you better it, it will make you better or it will kill you and then it will really make you better Amen. Jesus is our hope and if you want this hope you must trust the one <clears throat> who said To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost. You hear what Jesus is saying about all of us here? You're thirsty. We're we're thirsty. What is quenching your thirst? Is it vertical or is it horizontal? But he says, "If if you thirst, I will give you drink without cost. How is that possible? It's possible because Jesus himself once said, I thirst. On the cross, Jesus endured cosmic thirst and cosmic hopelessness so that we could be satisfied. Someone has called it substitutionary hopelessness. Christ received the hopelessness we deserve so that we could receive the hope that we don't deserve. Christ lost all he had, the face of God, so that we could see the face of God forever together so that we could enjoy grace forever together 
Hear me. Grace is not a thing. It's not like a substance or like a quasi-substance. Someone said, let us not thingamatize grace. There's only Jesus. Grace is the grace of Jesus. The grace that is Jesus. And when he gives us his grace, it's not like he's sticking his hands in his pocket and then handing you something. He's giving you himself. Jesus is giving me himself. Grace is Jesus himself who will transform my lowly body so that it will be like his glorious body. Resurrected life, resurrected body with the resurrected Christ in a resurrected new heavens and new earth. And if you don't want that, there's nothing else that we have here in this church for you. So what do you want? There's an old church cemetery that has a really old oak tree. And at the base of that oak tree, there's a gravestone. That gravestone has one word on it. It's a word that reflects the faith of a grandmother who lived off of vertical hope, the hope of the new heavens and the new earth, resurrected life, resurrected body, resurrected Christ, resurrected heaven and earth. There's only one word on her gravestone, and it is the word waiting. 